Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Happy Thursday, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of the Snyder Cut. I am your dripping wet host, Jeff Snyder, senior film reporter at Collider. Just got out of the shower. Had to look good for you guys, you know? Got, got to take care of my, my look. Um, what have we got to talk about today? It's a bit of a, I think it's a thinner show than normal, uh, just because, you know, we were coming off that holiday weekend. Um, not a lot kicking around over, over Labor Day. Everybody always gets out of town end of August. So there's, there's definitely been uh, less big deals, that kind of stuff. I also just feel like a lot of movie stars are kind of, taking a little bit of a break you know we saw like Anna Ferris this week um pull out a mom season eight she just left the show now I don't know what her reasons are but I, I think it's fair to speculate that Anna Ferris just maybe didn't want to go back to work didn't want to be around a bunch of people on a sitcom um you know obviously actors are on the front lines and, and they can't always be wearing masks and stuff and you know if you've got tens of millions of dollars and you're squared away financially like really what is the rush to go back to work i've been saying that for months on this podcast uh, i think that we're going to see more of that again i don't know that that's anna Ferris's reason but i i do anticipate um you know a lot of stars taking some time off at least until there is a, a vaccine uh what was the big news this week i guess we should start with the new oscar eligibility rules and, and i hope that we're going to talk about this on for your consideration soon um Although we should really have like some kind of a, a guest panelist on that episode, you know, because obviously we've got three white hosts and, and that's the way it is. Uh, and, and that's just, you know, the, the chemistry works out. I don't think that you need to have one of, every, of everybody on, on FYC. I, I think Mance and I and Perry do a, a, a pretty solid job. But, um, you know, I, I think maybe we should have a, a guest voice for, you know, if we do do another episode before award season really heats up, we should look at these Oscar rules. Anyway, so a lot to, to parse through here. I don't even have the document in front of me. Even if I did, it wouldn't matter because a lot of people, it, like, it confused a lot of people. Um, so what are we really talking about here? Let's see. So Devon Franklin, I believe it was, he, he you know, because all, all the trades did interviews in the aftermath with the Academy president, with Jim Giannopoulos, with Devon Franklin, all the different board members and stuff. And Devon said, you know, you can't, it's not perfect. They acknowledge it's not perfect. But you can't let perfection get in the way of progress. And this is progress. And so I do commend the Academy for trying to do something to address you know, the diversity and inclusion and all that stuff uh, in the industry. I think that's, it, it has to be a positive at the end of the day, right? Having said that, obviously it wasn't perfect. And there was a lot of blowback in a lot of corners. And, and I just don't know that it's ultimately the Academy's job to regulate this stuff. They are not the kings of the industry. Their job is to essentially Put, dole out awards and put on a, an entertaining three-hour TV show at the end of each year. Like, I, I, and, and, you know, there's, yes, they're supposed to preserve, you know, Amer American film history and, and, you know, come up with initiatives to, to you know, uh, make the future more inclusive. 
I, I, I totally understand all of that. But to, to be the, the, the judge, jury, and executioner about art, I, I, it just doesn't sit well with me on, on, a, on a molecular level, so to speak. And I think that is where, whether it's David Poland or, or Jeff Wells or Mark Harris, I mean, everybody, everybody had something to say. Scott Feinberg, Chris Tapley, Clayton Davis had, had stuff to say, a variety, the, the, the new blogger over there. Um, it just, I just don't like any, any, any attempts to regulate art. And I know they're saying, well, we're not regulating art. You can go and, and make your all-white movie with your all-white cast and crew. Um, you just won't be eligible for one of the 24 Academy Awards. And I, and I get that that's like a way of, of putting it. But at the same time, if me and all my white friends go and make an all-white movie, and that movie's incredible, that should be eligible for the Academy Awards. Like, I don't understand that. I don't understand. Like, and, and it seems heavily skewed in favor of the studios. So, so. You know, they're like, well, if you don't have the diversity in front of the camera, or, or you only have to meet two of the four standards. If you don't have the diversity in front of the camera, you could have a diverse marketing department. Well, like, what marketing department isn't diverse these days? And, and, and that's for, like, a major studio, right? But, you know, someone brought up, well, what about roadside attractions, which has five employees or something like that? It's a smaller outfit. And, and at least three of the five employees are openly out gay men, you know, but they're all white. So I don't know how much diversity there is in that marketing department. Is the marketing department more than two or three people? I don't even know. So, and it's like, you know, Warner Brothers, uh, Universal, those kinds of places, they can, they can have these internship uh, programs and they can put money towards that. You know, can, can roadside attractions really afford to do that? I don't know. And it's not fair that, that it seems like these rules are, are it's easier for a studio to make to, to meet these standards than a smaller indie company now a lot of people were like you know they went through the the, the past now like, well what, what what would this really affect these rule changes would it affect this movie this movie this movie and it seemed like it wouldn't really affect too many of the movies I mean, to be fair having said having said that it, it's just like uh if it's not affecting anything then why are we putting the rules in place like if this wasn't if this isn't going to change anything i just think that diversity and inclusion those kinds of efforts they can't be forced i know people think that they have to be forced because on their you know left to their own devices studios and producers and networks and that kind of stuff they're not doing it but i think that that is it really is about generations i think that there's a generational divide and the thing about generation is like it's self-correct eventually the young people, and I'm still a young person in this industry at around 35, at least for a non-actor, eventually the people my age are going to be running the networks and the studios, if they're not already in some cases. They're going to be 45, 50. And, and I really don't think the people my age, in Hollywood at least, think too much about race and gender and, and I mean, in all this stuff. Like, it's just, they're naturally inclusive. You know, it, it seems to be the old guard that is protecting their, their you know, the, the ranks and, and hiring their buddies and all that kind of stuff. But like, okay, regarding the marketing executive thing, you know, is it the, your marketing team has to be diverse when the movie's greenlit? Is it when the movie comes out? 
What if it comes out in February, right? You could have an entirely different marketing department nine months later. I mean, you know, people come and go in this industry quickly. Is it so? Is it when the movie gets greenlit, when the movie comes out, when the movie is up for awards? Awards like what? It's just so willy nilly, and the whole like the self identifying thing. Like, well, you, you know, we need, we're going to need someone to uh, to be gay or trans. Like, well, what if these people don't want to come out? It's just this like this forced. Yeah, ha- I mean, I just don't like. It. I do not like. It. I, I don't want them to be like, well, you know, shit, we only met one of the four standards. How can we meet the second standard? Let, let's hire a black person. Let's, uh, Bill, do you, do you, do you think, I know you're straight. I know you have a wife, but have you ever hooked up with a guy? Like, could you be bisexual so we can meet the requirement? Like it, it just, it's crazy. It's crazy. And I'm not the only person who says so, but like half of the stuff I'm saying is just reporting. It's not even my opinion. This is, I'm reporting to you how people feel out there. And, and it's not just white people or straight people. Deadline had the whole thing. Uh, there was a black, a black uh, filmmaker who commented in the Deadline uh, comment section. Uh, it's just, you're, you're policing art and, and you're trying to count, well, this person, there was a white person, a black person, a Latina person, an Asian person, a gay person, a trans person on this project. Like, I, I don't like the counts. I don't like that, Listen, I know people who are worried that they won't get accreditation for film festivals, and so they check off that they're bisexual, and they think it, it, it gives them a little extra juice to be let in. I mean, it's just, it's not good. It's not good for art. It's bad. Um, I'm just trying to peruse through some of these things. Right, so Jeff Wells' headline, and I know what everybody says about Jeff Wells. And I know that Jeff Wells overdoes the, the wokes, the Camarouge woke people thing. But the point is Jeff, like Jeff is still in business and getting ads because Oscar voters read Jeff. And so his headline was forced diversity for Oscar seekers. Um, you know, and people have brought up like war movies or, or movies. Think about the foreign films. Like a lot of foreign films are made in countries where maybe there aren't a lot of black people or people of color. And so if there's an all-white crew, you know, is this, and an all-white cast, is this foreign film no longer eligible? Like, it's not, they're just not operating in the same melting pot that is America. And that's what we all love about this country, but it just, it almost skews the Oscars in, in favor of more American films. Um, I just, I don't know, man. I do not know. It's very complicated, and, and, I, and it will be interesting to see how much this sticks. Like, you know, they had, well, we're doing a popular film Oscar. That was gone quickly. This could be gone quickly, too. What, what kills me is, like, the disingenuousness of the board of directors where they're like, well, we talk to everybody in every field, and, and this is what our members want. There are a lot of members who do not want this, believe me. So, you know, when, when they're saying, well, we talk to everybody, we pulled it. No, it's the board of directors making decisions. David Poland had a great column. I mean, his was all about just like, this is like a, just a slow motion car wreck. Decision after decision after decision by Don Hudson. Just, I, I re- I'm really at a loss. Again, I, I appreciate the idea in theory. And I do think that diversity and inclusion are important. But is it, is it the be all end all? Is that what we want best picture to come to represent? It's not what I'm looking for from it. And, and maybe I just think of the Oscars differently and, and, and what the role of the Academy should be, but they're not, uh, 
they shouldn't be the final arbiter of, of these kinds of things. The, the Academy doesn't even make movies. It's comprised of people who make movies, but studios make movies. Streamers make movies. Like, it, it's all about hiring practices. That's what we're talking about, right? And so the Academy is trying to enforce these certain hiring practices, even though they're not involved themselves. It's, it's just, it's weird. The whole thing is weird. And, and clearly they were prepared for this backlash and it has been a backlash. It's been a, a, as much as there have been people applauding it, there have also been people who are just like, they don't like any attempts to regulate art. And, and unfortunately, even though I, I recognize how important diversity is, I had to choose between the two. I had to choose between a world where, hey, it's diverse and inclusive. We're getting movies from everybody or a world where the Academy is saying, this has to be done this way. And if it's not, you're not eligible. I'm, I'm going, I'd rather live in a world where the Academy doesn't do that, you know? And that's just me. Um, maybe I'm putting too much emphasis on the Oscars and that one best picture award, like I said, is only concerns best picture and it doesn't even concern it right now it's not even taking full effect until 2024 really because you know there are movies that are probably in development and and being written and in production right now that won't come out until 2024 or 2023 or whatever anyways like i would love to have all the notes and what everybody said in front of me and all all the quotes and and like i could do a whole episode about this and maybe we will on fyc because I, i think it is a nuanced conversation but you have to you have to recognize that it's nuance for people who just say, nope, diversity, diversity is a great thing and fuck everything else that, that, that uh, gets thrown, you know, uh, by the wayside because of it. You, like those people, you have to recognize that this is a nuanced conversation. That's why I'm not on Twitter anymore. You can't have a nuanced conversation. You, you do one tweet and it could be, you know, the beginning of a thought. And then that one tweet is the one that gets retweeted. And, and passed around and you get judged on. It's just, I, I, like, people, someone asked me, have you quit Twitter? So someone asked me this morning, have you quit Twitter? A celebrity. And I said, yeah. And he says, well, was it for good? Or, you know, like, is it just temporary? Is it just right now? How crazy things are. And I said, well, right now it's for right. It's just for now. But it's probably for good because I, you know, I, I do, I don't miss it. I follow a little along on Twitter, but as far as always having to weigh in with my thoughts on every trailer and get a tweet out there for every release date and all that shit. It's just, what is the risk reward? Twitter doesn't put any money in my pocket. Um, weird times in this country right now. I, I just, I, I cannot wait for that election because I think it's really going to brighten the mood. Hopefully when, when, if, and when Biden wins and if Trump wins, just why there's going to be an exodus. I don't, I don't know that I know a lot of people who can't do four more years of this. Um, so is that all I really want to say about Oscars? I guess, I guess so. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about it more. And again, until, until there's a movie where it's like, Hey, this is a great movie. That's now no longer eligible for Oscars. Then, then these standards and that kind of stuff will come up for review. But you know, right now it seems like no movie would be left out because the standards are just so easy to qualify for. So yeah, it's almost like an, it's, it's like a huge story, but it's almost a non-story. Like it'll be a story when it's a story. Um, 
And I, I did love the uh, the Jews are no are not a uh, Jews are not a minority because here in Hollywood they're properly represented. Like, is this about diversity in Hollywood or diversity in the world? Like, what the Academy is such a disaster as far as PR. Like, I cannot even I can't imagine working over there. Holy shit! Like, it's not that hard, guys. All right, let's just move on because I'm getting worked up about all the Oscar stuff and the Academy in general and its incompetence. Borat 2, a a Collider World exclusive. That's right. Uh, We broke that this week. Didn't have all the plot details and stuff. I got to give credit. I believe it's the film stage who actually had a reader reach out who'd seen the movie, uh, gone to a test screening. So anyways... Somebody reached out this week, said, uh, you know, I, I know someone who, who has seen Borat too. Like, this is a thing that exists. Here's what they've told me about it a little. I tried to get confirmation. Uh, you know, didn't get any response from Sasha Baron Cohen's team. And, and I think that they just thought I was going to leave it alone if they didn't respond, uh, which is crazy. That's not how it works. I just went digging further. I got a second source to say, you know, I can't say much about it. I can't say where it's set up or who ha- who owns it or who directed it or anything, but I can say it exists. Yeah. That's enough for a story for me, bro. Because, you know, videos had, had been leaking on social media of Sasha Baron Cohen shooting something in the Borat character. People assumed it was Borat too, but they didn't know for sure. It could have been an ad campaign. It could be part of, you know, a, a series or something. We confirmed it is a full-fledged feature. I do. I don't know if it's going to be coming out before the election, but I imagine that it will, since it, it is uh, supposedly, you know, according to the, the film stage, it does uh, delve into Trump and Epstein's relationship. It delves into the, the coronavirus and the pandemic. It features cameos from guys like Mike Pence and Giuliani. So I don't want to like ruin everything right here. You can read the film stage report. Apparently, the movie's called uh, Great Success, although I'm sure it'll go out under Borat Two or something. Um, I mean, this was, this was a bit of a bombshell. Like, I, I liked Borat. I don't know if I've, maybe I saw it one other time, but I have, it's not a movie that I go back to, mainly because, I mean, you know, part of the fun was, was that first screening and everything felt so new and there were surprises. Uh, I don't know what its re, rewatchability value is. Um, I think it's a smart thing for Sasha. You know, he had Who is American and he got a... You know, he got a lot of headlines off of that, but I don't know like a ton of people who really watched it or, or liked it all that much. I, I didn't think it was great. I think I watched a couple episodes. And then he had The Spy, which I think he really thought was going to turn things around for him or just establish him as a dramatic actor. And I've heard he was very good from people who stuck with it. I watched one episode and was like, it's good, but I, I still have a hard time, you know, buying Sasha Baron Cohen in a dramatic role. I never finished. So I, I wonder if it was just a case of like, you know what? This is what people want from me. I'm going to go back and do it. And, and now is the time to use the Borat character to get to it, to expose some uncomfortable truths in this country. Sometimes it takes an outsider like a, uh, like a Borat to do that. Um, yeah, I, I heard other people. Uh, anyways, yeah, Borat 2. I don't know when it's coming. It's coming soon. It was cool to break it. The story got picked up everywhere. Somebody's about to call, but I am going to shut that down. Um, we got a Dune trailer this week. A lot of trailers. We're going to have a lot of trailer talk. Dune trailer. I thought it looked okay. I almost like the teaser more than the actual trailer. Um, 
it obviously reminded me of Blade Runner 2049. Same director, Denis Villeneuve. It looks beautiful. Like clearly, you know, a lot of time and effort and money. It's, it's all up there on the screen. The cast is excellent. But Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Zendaya, uh, Jason Momoa, um, you know, Oscar Isaac. Like, what have these guys really opened? I mean, I know Aquaman opened, but that's Aquaman. Like, you know, if, if Jason Momoa was just in your average B action movie, would that open? None of these people, I know they are movie stars, but they're not openers. Not yet. Maybe Chalamet and Zendaya will be one day. But right now it's all sort of title dependent. Um, this is very heady, trippy sci-fi. Or just like, you know, uh, fear is the uh, is the mind killer. Like, sounds like a, a line that would have been in Star Wars. And, and you know, maybe that's, what, that's why they want to sell it, who they want to sell it to. Dune is just not as fondly remembered um, as Blade Runner. I, th- I, th- I felt like the, the blade, that the fan base for Blade Runner was bigger than the fan base for Dune. I may be wrong on that. I, I mean, my colleagues at Collider seem, seem to think so. Uh, I just don't see this opening. Particularly, I mean, particularly if they want to open it in December as planned. I don't think that that's going to happen. I, you know, we saw an article yesterday on Deadline that uh, Warner Brothers was considering moving Wonder Woman 84. And if they do move it, they're going to move it to either November or Dune's date in December. And even if they do move it to November... Do they really want to put Dune right out on top of that? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think that Dune, you can't be taking chances where people don't want to go to the movies or, you know, 25, 30% of theaters are full. You can't take chances with a movie like Dune, especially if you have sequel uh, hopes because, you know, one bad movie and, and you're screwed. There's no sequel coming for Blade Runner 2049, okay? And believe me, one was planned. So when people talk about, well, this is only half of the Dune story, this may be all we're getting, guys. You know, like they're not, uh, there's no guarantee of a sequel. Um, yeah, it just, I don't know, it, you know, the giant sandworm, like, did that do it for you? It, it, it just felt so fake, felt almost too big. It just felt like actors looking up on, at a sound stage. The music didn't really, it didn't get the juices flowing, you know, and, and you guys have seen what I'm like when I see a trailer I love. I'll watch it several times, like in a row. It just didn't, just didn't have that magic. Um, and, I, and I just don't know if Denis is that type of filmmaker. You know, I, I think he's better off sticking to mid-budget films like Sicario and Prisoners and Arrival. That just seems like who he is. Um, he just seems too smart for these kinds of big movies that have to uh you know be marketed to to four quadrants and appeal to to everybody it just it's it just doesn't feel like him um anything else i want to say about dune not not really yeah whatever um Okay, you know, why don't we just talk about a whole bunch of trailers, right? Let's just do that. We got a trailer for Freaky this morning. That is like, a, I think Blumhouse originally wanted to, to do something with Freaky Friday the 13th. Now, Disney obviously wasn't going to let that happen. And whoever the, wherever the hell the Friday the 13th rights are, I'm sure they wouldn't let that happen either. Um, 
this is a clever high concept idea. I didn't realize that it would be um, as, as go the comedy route. Uh, it seems to definitely be a horror comedy rather than just a straight horror movie. Um, basically Catherine Newton switches bodies with the serial killer and Vince Vaughn wakes up as, as a teenage girl. Like that could really work. There's, do we, do we get a date on this? Is this coming out in October? I don't even, I don't even know. Um, I wasn't a big happy death day guy. The first one was okay. The second one was terrible. I don't know how, who are these people who thought the happy death day sequel was better than the first one. Uh, Christopher Landon, you know, he's, he's hit and miss. Uh, Blumhouse is hit and miss. This looks like more of a hit. I, I think it looks like a fun movie. But we'll see. Same thing goes for Hubie Halloween. That's another trailer trailer that came out today uh, for Adam Sandler's new Netflix comedy. It looks like a, a throwback, a Sandler throwback. Uh, Tim Hurley he is, is the writer. Stephen Brill, these are, you know, old old Sandler pals. It's got a fun cast. Uh, Rob Schneider, Kevin James, Tim Meadows, Maya Rudolph, kid from Stranger Things, Noah Schnapp. It kind of looks like a Adam Sandler's riff on Stranger Things. And you know what I found out this morning? That Ben Stiller's in it. So that was interesting. Um, yeah, basically, you know, strange things are afoot on Halloween in Salem, and, and uh, Adam Sandler has to protect the town that he loves so dear. Could this be another terrible Adam Sandler or comedy? Oh, a million percent it could. But maybe it has the, the heart and soul that those early Sandler films had. I just wish that the guy wouldn't do a stupid voice. I don't know why. I wish there was somebody who would pull him aside and be like, can we make this your whole voice and character a little less stupid? Just like, 10% less stupid, but, you know, that, this is what people want uh, out of Adam Sandler on Netflix. We, they can't all be uncut gems. Doesn't matter. I, I'm here for it either way, because I'm, I'm a Sandman diehard. Um, we got our first look at Charm City Kings. I believe this is coming to HBO Max. This was a big, I want to say Sundance title. Looks good. It's, it's a black coming-of-age film um, about... Biker culture, the, the young star looks at, look like he does a great job. Um, I don't know that, again, it made my, my pulse flutter. I, I didn't get, like, a, a necessarily awards vibes. or you know, People have just talk, been t- really talking this movie up. And it looked good. I don't know if it looked great. But check out that trailer if you haven't. The Rebecca trailer was a little underwhelming for, for you know, Ben Wheatley's Netflix movie. Um, it's just... Listen, if you're gonna hire Ben Wheatley, like let the let the fucking guy get weird. It, it just didn't. It looks a little dull. Uh, and it's Lily James in there, right? Yeah, I'm just I'm mixed on Lily James. She she just seems interchangeable a little bit. But I'm looking forward to seeing what Army does and, and Kristen Scott Thomas. That's the role you got to keep an eye on. Uh, that's cool casting. Nomadland. We got a little teaser for. Um, you know, it was a very brief little snippet. Francis McDormand walking around. I'm sure it'll be good because I love Chloe Zhao's the, the writer. If this is anything like that, plus you've got Francis McDormand who's incredible. You're, you're, you're going to have a good movie, but uh, I don't know. Give me something a little bit more. At least he gave me more than the Sound of Metal. Holy shit! I see the Sound of Metal trailer pop up in our Slack, and I'm like, oh my god, today is the day. I'm going to get my first look at footage from Sound of Metal. I am pumped. I'm pumped for this movie. It's one of my most anticipated films the rest of the year. And the trailer, it wasn't even a trailer. It wasn't even a teaser. It was just like this video of, like, you know, Riz Ahmed introducing his co-stars and them, you know, most of whom are deaf, and then speaking sign language. But there was no 
clip from the movie. You got to do, hey, I'm Riz Ahmed, and, and then, you know, have everybody introduce themselves in sign language and then say, and this is our movie, The Sound of Metal. Enjoy it. And then you, you do a teaser. And then you do a trailer later. Or you just do the trailer in full. You don't just drop this totally ignorable thing. I hate to say it, but we, Collider didn't do anything with it. That wasn't my call, but I completely backed the call because there's nothing here to write up. It's just a video of Riz Ahmed and, and some deaf people saying, we made a movie. We know that. That's, this is well established. Show me the friggin' movie. So Amazon, another misstep for Amazon. Like you gotta lead with your best foot forward. The Truffle Hunters saw that trailer just now. Um, looked looked cute. Looked like uh, the Mole Agent, like a, a movie that uh, I could watch with my grandmother. Um, I've heard it's really good. I believe that was at Sundance too. Uh, it's a documentary about these dogs who are, you know, they're, they're very specialized dogs and they can hunt for for truffles. Hence the title. Uh, very valuable those, those truffles. It's a, it's a, an important commodity uh, for for folks over in, in Europe. Um, yeah. Sounds interesting. Maybe it'll be a documentary award player. Uh, I saw a tra- trailer for the, A Teacher. That's FX's series adaptation of, uh, of that movie. It was with Lindsay Burge and Will Britton, I believe. Um, movie was just okay. Series looks good. I think the series looks pretty friggin' good. Kate Mara and Nick Robinson. That, that's a duo I can, I can see. And I like how it starts off very romantic, the trailer, and it's just you know, these two young people, you don't know how old Nick Robinson is or how old Kate Mara is. And then it's cut to, oh shit, she's his teacher. And of course, nothing stays secret in high school and people find out and lives are shattered. And it's just, uh, it, I think it looks pretty friggin' great. Um, you know, the thing about this, of course, is that any 16-year-old boy, myself included, and anyone who denies this is, like, lying through their fucking teeth, any 16-year-old boy would kill to have their 30-year-old beautiful teacher uh, hit on them. Like, obviously, I know that that is illegal in most parts of America. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> God, I, I wish that had happened to me. Uh, now, when it's a a, a male teacher and a female student, that is a little bit more complicated. And it doesn't mean that, listen, there are certainly female predators out there who take advantage of, of younger boys. And, and that is not right. I'm just saying there are some of us who wouldn't have minded being in that position back in the day. Um, and then the last trailer was, was one that was a little bit personal for me. I got to write it up. Uh, it's for the comeback trail, which I didn't realize was a remake but it's with three Oscar winners, Robert De Niro, Morgan Freeman, and, uh, and Tommy Lee Jones. And uh, De Niro and Brett, Zach Braff play a couple of movie producers who are in, you know, for, for a lot of money to the mob. So they devise this plan to make a, a movie, knowing that the, the movie's never really going to get finished because they're planning to kill off their leading man and collect the insurance money. Now, what a time to make a movie about movie insurance. Like, we're talking about a lot of conversations about Chadwick Boseman and, and how much Marvel knew or didn't know and whether he, you know, what kind of insurance they had and, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. Then you have the, the pandemic insurance stuff. Uh, like we just saw the, the Robert Rodriguez and Ben Affleck, that their movie hypnotic uh, was supposed to go into produ- production in April. Then it got pushed to October. And now the insurance people don't want to underwrite it or whatever, because they owe like $55 million if, if Ben Affleck or Rodriguez, God forbid, got sick. So there's just a lot of stuff happening right now in the world of film insurance. So for this movie, 
to shine a light on that and make a whole plot around it. It's, it's kind of like super timely in a weird way. And then uh, the reason that, that I got excited about it is that it was written by my buddy, Josh Posner, who I grew up with. I've known Josh Posner since I was probably in third or fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, one of something like that. We used to play uh, football together before I got too small to continue playing football. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we've, you know, kept, kept in close touch, uh, you know, since we both made the move to LA, I ended up going to fancy ass film school at NYU. He went to Connecticut college, he ended up getting a, you know, some PA jobs out here, worked on Cloverfield. Uh, you know, I fell in at, at Variety, but then he got this job working for George Gallo. And if you don't know uh, who George Gallo is, he wrote Midnight Run, the De Niro movie in the eighties, which was great. Um, and Midnight Run even played a part in, in Goodfellas because, you know, it kind of put De Niro back on top, it, it, you know, made him a movie star again after like the King of Comedy didn't necessarily work out. Um, and and uh, George Gallo also created the characters for, for Bad Boys. He came up, he has story credit on that. So I always thought it was cool that Ponsner was working as an assistant for George Gallo and, he, and then he stuck it out. You know, it's very rare to be with someone like that for a decade. But, uh, you know, he, he really liked George, and they had a good relationship. And eventually, George, you know, he, led, he brought Josh into the fold. He said, hey, man, we can start working on some scripts together. Um, and, and so Josh honed his craft. He worked his way up to that level. They started writing together. They sold a bunch of pilots. Um, the pilots never really got picked up or went anywhere. But to, to see this movie, and, and it's with these three Oscar winners and De Niro, written by this kid I went to high school with, I think that's super, super cool. Um, and it just goes to show that if you pay your dues in this industry long enough, good things will happen. Good things happen to good people who work hard. So congrats to him. And, and I'm looking forward to the movie. I think it looks uh, cute. That's the kind of movie that should be remade. These sort of forgotten titles from the 70s and 80s that have a good plot, but maybe the execution wasn't there. There you go. Make a new one. Uh, speaking of things I was, uh, very proud of today, I finally, 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 God knows my editors were crazy. You know, I was driving them crazy. Um, I dropped my interview with Metallica drummer, Lars Ulrich. This one, I don't even know how it came about, man. It was like, I got links to their new orchestral album with the San Francisco orchestra, SNM2. And I, you know, I didn't really think anything of it. I was, I don't even know how I got on the list for the, for this, but I got to, I got this digital album sent to me and I'm like, you know what? Life is short. I don't know. You know, we don't know about if we even have tomorrow with this pandemic. So I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to ask Metallica for an interview. I'll take anybody they got. I'll even take the new guy, the new guy who's probably been in the band for 20 years. He'll always be the new guy to me. Um, but, uh, so it took weeks of negotiations, but then they're like, listen, Lars will do it. Because, you know, I didn't have, what am I going to do? Talk, like, we're not Pitchfork. I'm not going to review the album or talk to them too much about S&M 2. I want to talk, you know, Collider's a movie site. We got to talk movies. So give me the biggest movie you got, movie fan you got in Metallica. And that happened to be Lars Ulrich. And man, this dude is a movie buff. He talked about everything that he was watching during the pandemic, which was a ton of shit. And, and, uh, you know, stuff that I need to go and see. I, I haven't seen the seventh seal. He talked about how well his 19 year old kid picked that one out and how proud of him, uh, how proud he was. Um, we talked about mission impossible too, and working with Tom Cruise on that one talked about, you know, when does he think Metallica is going to tour again? Excuse me, tour live. Does he ever plan to retire? You know, or is he just going to drop dead at his drum kit? 
Uh, we talked about, um, well, one big thing we talked about was Jungle Cruise. So uh, we broke that story out like last week, but basically Metallica is working with James uh, Newton Howard on the score for Jungle Cruise, the, the Disney movie starring The Rock and uh, Emily Blunt. They're doing a new orchest- orchestral version of Nothing Else Matters, which is one of my favorite songs. Whenever I would play Metallica as a kid, Nothing Else Matters and The Unforgiven were the only Metallica songs mom would let me play in the car because they had a nice melody to them. She didn't like all the, the banging and the, the pounding with the, the rest of the metal songs. Um, I think this is super cool. And even though at first I'd be like, really, Metallica doing a Disney movie? Huh? The way that Lars explained it um, made a lot of sense to me that he's just like, you know, Sean Bailey's a big Disney fan. Lars and his wife are, are, are uh, sorry, works at Disney. He's a big Metallica fan. Lars and his wife are big Disney fans. They've been looking for something to work together for a while. Uh, and and the, the song, Nothing Else Matters, uh, plays into the actual storyline for Jungle Cruise. So I think it's going to be used in two specific uh, spots in the movie and, and get a fair workout. Like, it's not just going to be a snippet. I think it's going to play for a couple minutes. Um, so yeah, check, check out that interview with Lars Elric. It would mean the world to me. It was an absolute dream come true. And, uh, and yeah, that, you know, there's a link in there to, to read the Jungle Cruise story if you missed that last week. Uh, the Walking Dead is ending. They announced that, that uh, after season 11, which, is, you know, is going to be they, – they're still not done with season 10. Um, they have an episode coming, I think, next month, and then there's going to be a few more episodes in early 2021. Then you've got – God, there's so many freaking – there's so much Walking Dead content. Let me tell you. This I wouldn't even want. I wouldn't watch this with like a gun to my back. Like I'd rather watch friggin' Game of Thrones. Like I'm not a fan of horror television for starters. I, yeah, zombies chasing people for eleven seasons, and then a Fear the Walking Dead, and and a Walking Dead Lost Art. I don't even know what the fuck it was called. No, I'm out. Pass. So good riddance to, to the Walking Dead. You had a great run. AMC, you know, you, you propped them up for years. You, you allowed them to make some uh, interesting shows. But, uh, nope, there won't be any uh, nice eulogy or memorial for me for The Walking Dead. Uh, sorry. Sorry, guys. Wasn't a fan. Didn't, didn't, didn't care about it. And Iota. Um, what else? Alan Richson got cast as Jack Reacher this week. That was an interesting one because I'd been tracking a different name. I'm not going to say who it was. Uh, I'm not sure what happened. Um, Alan Richson, you know, you would have thought that they would want a name. Like, this is a big property. You've got John Krasinski playing uh, Jack Ryan. Like, I thought it would be more on that level. Instead, it was more on the Titus Welliver Bosch level, um, which is okay. This guy, Alan Richson, I'm not terribly familiar with his work. I mean, he played Raphael in the Ninja Turtles, but that was, you know, a mocap thing. Um, I didn't see, I guess, yeah, I guess I saw him in the Hunger Games, but he didn't stand out. I didn't see Titans or I didn't, I didn't watch Blue Mountain State. Those are the shows that he's most closely identified with. However, looking at a photo of this guy, I'm like, yeah, that guy looks like Jack Reacher in, in, in my head. I mean, I, again, I've never read a Jack Reacher book, but I was certainly aware of all the fans saying, well, Jack Reacher should be 6'4", you know, 240 pounds. How could Tom Cruise play him? Tom Cruise can play him because he's fucking Tom Cruise. He can play anybody. He's the greatest. He's the GOAT. Um, at least in that first movie. Jack Reacher 2 sucked. So, uh, but, but, you know, I took one look at this guy's photo, and, like, you can't argue with that fucking jaw. 
Like this guy looks like he could have been a former MP, former you know, military police. You know, we, we need more young stars. This is definitely going to be a stepping stone. Uh, maybe Alan Richie makes the most of this opportunity and becomes a big action movie star. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I'm glad it wasn't... Uh, I don't want to say I'm glad it wasn't the actor that, that I was tracking. Because um, I don't know if Alan Richie is a better actor than this guy or not. I actually thought the guy I was tracking would have would have made for an interesting Jack Reacher, but uh, I, I can see why why Amazon went in, in another direction. I don't know what the and again, like I said, pandemic, the, the demands on people with the series and stuff. Some people just don't want to go back to work. What's the point? Um, Anne Hathaway teaming up with Doug Lyman on a heist movie, a low budget heist movie slash rom com called Lockdown. No real plot details, so it's hard to say. But, man, what, like, I, I don't know if I like this teaming. Anne Hathaway, to me, Anne Hathaway is a great actress. And she's charming, and I think she's beautiful. And I just sense her career trending the wrong way. And I don't know why. Um, yeah, that's just, that's just what I'm picking up. Doug Lyman, where is Chaos Walking? This movie was shot three years ago. I think it's coming out early next year or something. It sounds like it's just going to be the worst disaster. So if you're Anne Hathaway, just I get that he's Doug Lyman. He's, he has done some cool things, and you can't just judge him by this shit show circus that, that has become Chaos Walking. But I also don't know if I'd just be eager to, to jump into bed with a guy like, you know, I his career seems to be trending the, the wrong way too. Um, again, all it takes is one project to, for these people to get back on top. But, uh, you know, she's coming off serenity. He's coming off this chaos, chaos walking thing. It's just like, eh, she also had like oceans eight didn't work out. And then there was that, uh, one with rebel Wilson, right? Like these are weird projects Anne Hathaway. Um, Amy Adams and Julianne Moore, on the other hand, their careers are going great. Uh, they just signed on to star in Dear Evan Hansen. They're, Dear Evan Hansen just casting every formidable redhead in town. Um, that is a, a, a musical project that I am looking forward to just because I've heard so many good things about the play. Uh, Elvis got back up and running over overnight, I suppose. I, think I got that blast at like 2 in the morning that Elvis was uh, Back shooting with uh, Boz and, um, and Tom Hanks. So nice to see that Tom Hanks made a full recovery. I saw that the Westing game is being adapted for, t- uh, for TV. What a great book. I remember reading it as a kid. I don't know if I remember all the details, but it was very much like Knives Out. Like there's, you know, a rich old guy and he's like, I put together this game and whoever solves it first gets my $200 million fortune. They get to inherit it. Um, this seems like the a perfect sort of, TV series. I forget where it's actually set up, but whoever got it, congrats to them. Smart, smart move. Same thing with Greenwich Entertainment. It's a very, very teeny tiny distributor. You probably haven't even heard of them. So I, and I almost missed this. Uh, I was reading, you know, deadlines like news briefs in preparation for this podcast. And I saw this and it took me back. Greenwich picked up Assassins, which was the, the best documentary I saw at Sundance. Um, and it was originally at Magnolia. So why did Magnolia let it go? Did Greenwich just come in and say, we want to put this thing? Like, I don't know if Magnolia was planning a theatrical release or a VOD thing. I mean, I know that they put movies out in theaters, but 
pretty much every Magnolia movie that I see is on VOD. Greenwich wants to put this thing in theaters on December 4th. I don't know if Magnolia dropped it for some reason, if it was like the material was too touchy or if Greenwich just came in over the top and was like, we'll buy it out. If you paid a million for it, here's a million two, take your $200,000 profit and we'll do what we want with this. I, I, I don't know. I don't know any of that stuff. That was all just speculation. Here's what I know. It's that Assassins is a great movie. This is about um, the two women who thought that they were being, uh, they were thought they were on like a game show. And so they ended up at like, assassinating the brother of, I think it was uh, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, one of the, one of the Kim Jongs. Um, great, just a great movie. Keep an eye out for that in early December. Still don't know what's going on with Into the Deep. That was another great, great Sundance documentary that you'd think would be released, but maybe they're just holding it. I mean, everything, your whole perception of the movie calendar is thrown off this year because movies are now eligible that are released in January and February. So the things that, you're like, well, shit, if I haven't heard about it now, opening before the end of the year, it's probably not going to come out. Technically, there's like six more months left in, in the award season year. So you could have things dated for, for late December, early January, even February, and it could really shake up the race. Uh, Guy Ritchie and Jason Statham reuniting for a movie called Five Eyes. It is their fifth time working together even though I believe the executive in the press release said it was four. They forgot Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, which is where uh, the two of them first worked together. Um, I don't even remember what this movie's about. Uh, it, I just remember that the character he's playing is Orson Fortune. <laughs> Incredible. You can't, I mean, I would say you can't even make these kinds of names up, but you can. And that one is clearly made up. A lot of stuff happened this weekend with Ray Fisher. Warner Brothers, okay. Holy shit. They put out a very strongly worded statement. The kind of press release I haven't, I don't think I've ever seen from a studio. Just totally, totally throwing, I'd say it's throwing Ray Fisher under the bus, but really it was Ray Fisher throwing everybody under the bus. So this was just in response. You're not going to get away with with that shit against uh, Toby Emmerich. He's got a long memory, Ray Fisher. Um, Ray Fisher, where to begin? Uh, this guy hasn't worked. Hasn't worked outside of, the, of DC. And that's not because of fucking Joss Whedon or Jeff Johns. That's because of Ray Fisher and Ray Fisher's representatives. Um, the guy has an attitude problem. What do you want me to say? Uh, if you haven't picked up on that by now, you're, you're dense. Um, he is not, uh, Gal or Henry or Ben or even Momoa. Uh, he's Ray Fisher, and frankly, he's lucky to be there. I've heard, you know, attitude issues going back to the play that he did, you know, which was his breakout uh, role as Muhammad Ali. Like, but the fact that him and his reps have not booked him anything else. I know he did True Detective, and that's a great get, even though it was kind of, you know, it wasn't a great role. But working with Mahershala, True Detective, I get it. That's a great get. Since then, there's literally been nothing. And this is a guy who played a major superhero and whose face would theoretically, at least half of it, would be recognizable to to audiences around the world. Um, So anyways, Warner Brothers is just like, you know, we're trying to do this investigation. This guy's not cooperating. He says it's because there wasn't a – he has to vet the investigator. Ray Fisher, let me just tell you something right now. And, and anyone who's listening, all these investigations are absolute fucking bullshit. You're like, Ray Fisher, you're right. 
uh, that that's well, it's Warner Brothers. How can Warner Brothers be investigating itself? You're absolutely right, Ray Fisher. They can't. It's a it's a bullshit investigation. But like, what do you think is going? Like, call the police if you want a real investigation. What is the allegation? You keep saying people. It's a toxic workspace. People were mean to you. Fucking buck up, bro. It's Hollywood. Not it's not all sunshine and rainbows here. People want you to say the line, and you say it one way. The director has it in his power to say, no, I want you to say it this way. And if you don't, I'm going to fucking get rid of you. So let's talk about that now. When you make a statement, like Warner Brothers did, you put out that press release, okay? I understand having to have Ray Fisher back for Justice League and for Snyder Cut and all that stuff. How do you bring this guy back as the, in the flash as Cyborg? How? It seems impossible. I don't know how, like, you can't do it. So Cyborg, just my prediction, totally being recast for The Flash, if the character even stays in that script. It would be, I'd be shocked if Ray Fisher was in The Flash. Shocked. After the statements that Warner Brothers made about this guy, how do you even put him on a fucking press tour for that movie in two years with press asking about this, this, and that? Nope, wouldn't do it. Would say, Ray Fisher... Thanks for your contributions to Justice League. We're recasting the character, same as we recast Batman and Superman and all these other fucking guys. You don't really bring anything to the table besides a sour attitude and bad press. So, goodbye. Good luck. That's what's going to happen to Ray Fisher. There'll be a footnote. You're just not doing yourself any favors for the rest of your career. It's not even Warner Brothers. What other studio would want to be in business with you after this Ray Fisher? I've been saying this for weeks. For months. Oh my God. He's just getting the worst, uh, just the worst advice from his reps too. I wouldn't be surprised if either he dropped his reps or his reps dropped him. What else? De Niro and Malkovich and Machine Gun Kelly working with Emmett for, uh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Randall Emmett on this wash me in the river thing. De Niro is working with Machine Gun Kelly. That's what we've come to folks. Uh, speaking of De Niro, Godfather three, Francis Ford Coppola putting out a recut. Why? I don't know. Like, why is Francis Ford Coppola? Why is he always got to tinker with all this shit? I don't understand. I don't understand that impulse. Him and, and Lucas. It's like it's done. It's the past. Leave it alone. And guess what? I had never even seen Godfather three. I'm not a big Godfather guy. I don't care how the fucking trilogy ends. I don't care about this recut. I'm probably not going to see it. Don't care. Godfather, good. Godfather 2, very good. I'm probably one of those guys who thinks Godfather 2 is a little bit better than the first one. Uh, but yeah, 3, It's just I just don't care. I just don't care about the Godfather movies. I don't. Goodfellas is my Godfather, and boy, did I have a great weekend. I read Glenn Kenny's Goodfellas book, Made Men. First, I read it once, cover to cover, in about t- two days for me. Then I went back and read it again for an article that I'm working on for the site. Uh, And that's a great read. So buy that book if you're looking for something to read. And to me, Goodfellas is always going to be over The Godfather. Sorry. Um, That's just my my recency bias. That's just showing my my 80s or, sorry, excuse me, 70s ignorance. 70s ignorance. Um, James Ponsalt and Newstatter and Weber working together again on something called Nothing to See Here. They, they, they obviously work together on The Spectacular Now. Uh, I'm not really familiar with this book, but I did like the, the premise. It was basically about these two, you know, girls at boarding school 
different backgrounds. One of them gets expelled. You know, they, they both grow up. One becomes married to a senator and, and uh, that kind of stuff has a very lo lovely life. The other one's living at home with mom. And then she gets a call from the senator's wife. She says, listen, I can, I, let me offer you a job. Will you look after my, my stepchildren? But it turns out the stepchildren, there's something fucking weird about them. That sounds like an interesting premise. And I, and I love, uh, I'm a big fan of, of Ponsol, bigger, even, even bigger fan of Neustadter and Weber. Those guys are great. Uh, I like this team. It, it's not who I would think of to direct a, a female-driven, I don't know what it is. Uh, it sounds like maybe a thriller. Um, but the three of them working together, thumbs up by me. Uh, is there anything else? I don't think that there really is. So uh, let me just uh, scan the, the mailbag and stuff. I know we got stuff. I know people have been writing in. Hang tight. Bear with me, folks. I've got, right, from uh, Johanna Linaverta. Um, what are your thoughts on the new Academy standards for the best for the best? And do you think that you'll ever return to Twitter? I actually already answered both of those things. I already talked about the Academy standards and, and uh, a return to Twitter. So uh, sorry, Juhana. I already uh, addressed that up front. Um, let's check out just the, the, the normal players. Guys, I'm only getting questions from a few of you. So, so don't be shy. All right. Derek Walker Jr. writes, about 12 to 15 months ago, you reported that Ryan Reynolds was in talks to produce a movie with Fox called Stoned Alone. Stone Alone. Uh, has there been any movement on that or with Disney buying that studio, the movie's no longer happening? Um, I have not heard a lick about Stoned Alone. Maybe, probably because Disney, you know, very quickly did its Home Alone remake for, uh, or reboot rather, for Disney+. Plus. So I don't think that they would trot out anything that messes with the home alone brand, even though I know this is not a part of that franchise, it's obviously a riff on it. I don't think that they'll do anything uh, until well after home alone hits Disney plus. And I don't know when that will be. I don't know if they managed to shoot that before the pandemic or not. That'd be interesting if that arrived uh, this November or December on Disney plus God knows they could use a little bit more. I know uh, what's it called? The Mandalorian's coming in, in early October, but like, what are the things I have to look forward to on Disney plus coming up? Tell me. Um, so that's Derek's question. Oh, Derek also asked, this was a, it, this came in right after last week's episode. Ben Wheatley is set to direct the sequel to Tomb Raider. What are your thoughts on this? I'm not familiar with this filmography and haven't seen any of his work. Do you like any of his previous projects? And if, if so, what would I recommend for him to watch? Uh, I'm very mixed on Ben Wheatley. I am definitely not, uh, you know, 100% on, on him. He has a very specific style. Um, I did not care for Free Fire. I thought that was a bust and it should have been good. I thought Kill List, Kill List is good, but overrated. When I, like, Kill List was super hyped. And it's disturbing, and I think it'll stay with you, but I didn't love the end. It kind of went off the rails at the end for me. Sightseers, I liked. Um, in fact, Sightseers is my favorite Ben Wheatley movie. That's a good movie. So I would say start with Sightseers. I don't know if I ever saw Down Terrace. Maybe I did way, way, way back in the day. A Field in England, I don't think, um, I don't think that one was for me. Uh, I don't think, I don't know if I watched it. That's like the Mushroom movie. High Rise, I hated. 
Like that's that's just like style over substance to me. So yeah, like I, I actively hated Free Fire and High Rise. I didn't see Happy New Year, Colin Burst did, but like I know that there's talent there. As far as Tomb Raider, I don't see that at all. First of all, I don't give a fuck about Tomb Raider. Um, so I didn't even see the first film with Alicia Vikander, uh, and and I like that director, uh, Roar Uthag, and, and the wave that he that he made. So I don't care about Tomb Raider. Ben Wheatley, very, very mixed on him. I think Rebecca is going to go a long way towards whether I'm, I'm on or off that train. Uh, but I, if I were you, Derek, I would start with Sightseers. Um, and then I think, is that is that going to do it for us? I think it just might be. Did I get any questions from Will? Uh, yes, Will Virgilis did write. He said, is there any news on the next in- Inyaritu film? I always pronounce it Inyaritu. I don't know if that's out. I think it's Inyaritu. You guys are seeing me learn pronunciations in real time after last year's, uh, last week's Kamala Harris. Um, anyways, Will says, I remember when DiCaprio initially accepted Nightmare Alley. There were rumors that he was also considering uh, Inyaritu's, Inyaritu's next film. Uh, there hasn't been much since on that. Don't know if you've heard anything. I really haven't. It's been very quiet on that front. Um, so, yeah. We'll, we'll see. I don't know if, if uh, the director would wait for Leo. Um, sounds like uh, kill, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon is going to be next for him, but you know that you never know. You, n- you never know. I think that will do it. That's the show for this week, guys. We're rooting for the Celtics in Game 7 tomorrow night. Everybody pull together. We, we need this win. Um, is that it? Yeah. We'll call it there. This has been the Snyder Cut. Uh, thank you for watching. F- feel free to follow me on Twitter, even though I'm not on it. Uh, I do DM on Instagram and on Cameo. I made a lovely Cameo for someone's 64-year-old mother this week. Happy birthday to, uh, to that lovely woman. And, uh, yeah, hit me up on Cameo, guys. Until then, have a wonderful weekend. I'll see you next week. Adios. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, but it said Mr. Worldwide, and you already know what it is. Listen to my new podcast from Negative to Positive. Subscribe today. Now, part of the things that we're doing over here at Negative to Positive is encouraging people to change their lives, change the things that are within their power. I want to thank our good friends at KFC for helping me bring this to you. Feed your whole crew with KFC. Let's go. I can get the KFC bucket of chicken, and you know, that's fire. Now, Babo, you know that you can get that mac and cheese, that mashed potato, gravy, those biscuits. Now, that's that's trouble right there. That is fire right there. You know, on negative to positive, we're always talking about striving and achievement. And, and the Colonel Sanders story is, is a story that inspired me since I was 10 years old. Look how life comes full circle. Now I'm talking about Colonel Sanders and Kentucky Fried Chicken and how much I love it. <laughs> Listen to my new podcast from negative to positive. Check out the vodcast. Subscribe today. Apple Podcast. Podcast One. Spotify. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 
2020 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply.